that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is another Market Down Monday here from Cleveland.com. I'm Nathan Baird along with Stephen Means and Doug Maurice. We're recording this on Friday. We are doing position battles. The remaining position battles that we think are still out there as Ohio State now has been through three days of camp in preseason for the 2021 season. We know some of the starters, some of those have been locked in since really last season. We've gotten a good indication from the spring and uh, what we've seen so far of a couple other positions that I think probably are not up for grabs anymore. But there's still several that I think the battle is going to last long into camp. And obviously the quarterback battle is the most prominent of those, but it's going to be both sides of the ball. We've still got some things to find out. We're going to mark that down in the second and third category or episode, uh, what do I want to say? Second and third periods of this segments of this podcast. I've been having trouble all week with that. Steven's laughing because uh, earlier this week, I could not remember the term periods for practices. <laughs> I, it was just like a complete mental block. And then now I even have in front of me segment one, segment two, segment three, because I, I, I plan these out and I still couldn't think of the word segment. The, the periods thing was only funny because it was two separate occurrences. It wasn't like we took a break and it started over. No, the first time we tried to make a video it was like 1030 in the morning. And then you did it again at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, light, lightning struck twice on that. But uh, before we get to those segments where we mark it down, we're going to talk about what we heard today, what we saw today. We were at four periods of practice this morning at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. So you're listening to this on Monday, and Nathan is saying it on Friday. Correct. I no, already he said means it. We're Friday. on Friday. Yes. So on Friday, we were there for four episodes of practice, uh, four, four periods of practice. <laughs> and then we got to talk to Kerry Combs and a bunch of cornerbacks after that. Five uh, cornerbacks, I believe. Um, I was the one kind of watching the defense today. There was not a lot of, of scrimmage-ish stuff, even less than we saw on Wednesday on the first day of practice. I thought one of the things that jumped out to me was somebody we're going to probably talk about in a little bit is Cam Brown um, getting to hear his name called out a couple times for getting pass breakups for you know looking like he's healthy and and last year at this time we were talking about him as like a depth guy and being in the mix he was going to be the nickelback and then he gets hurt and at the, at the time he got hurt I think we might have underplayed it a little bit we had you know because they still had Sean Wade we thought maybe the younger guys would come up and then that didn't really happen and his absence seemed like a void and I thought that was one of the most positive things from an Ohio State standpoint is to see him out there being healthy and just performing and 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 Kerry Combs talking about liking what he's seeing from him and that there was a bit of a, a mental hurdle that he had to cross as a lot of athletes do coming back from injury. And he seems to be kind of on that path. Um, I was, I don't know if either of you guys, Doug, you were there talking to Kerry at, at that time. I can't remember Steven, if you were at that table, mm -hmm. but um, just what did you take away Doug from what Kerry Combs had to say about, where the defense and maybe I guess specifically where the secondary is depth wise, because last year we talked a lot about how the coaching staff didn't have a lot of confidence in the younger guys, maybe needed to push through that a little bit and give some of these younger guys a shot when veterans weren't getting it done. And this year, knock on wood, everybody stays healthy. They do seem to have a little bit more confidence in their depth. It's interesting because a lot of the frontline guys are the same and a lot of the backup guys are the same. But when you think about, for instance, Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos, Cam Martinez, and Lathan Ransom. 
Like the four of them are in very similar circumstances to a year ago, except now they're all second-year guys. They're not first-year guys anymore. And not only were they first-year guys a year ago, they were first-year guys in a pandemic. So there's a lot of sameness to this, but everybody's much more experienced. And so you can understand why. And then even like Kerry Combs, and I, it's hard. It'd be great to have a 45-minute one-on-one with Kerry Combs. Even the idea of like, you know, Kerry Combs didn't know Ryan Watts that well, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a window. Kerry, Kerry Combs is gone. He didn't recruit him. He didn't evaluate him. He didn't establish a relationship. So even compared to what Kerry had done before, Kerry, as the defensive coordinator who's in charge of the secondary in a lot of ways still, just didn't have that belief. And then if it's like, all right, well, let me get up the speed on these dudes. He was like behind, and then he was extra behind, and then he was extra behind. Because they didn't sort of have a lot of like second and third year guys in those backup roles. The first year guys, he didn't know because he didn't recruit them, and then there was a pandemic. So there's just, of course, a lot more confidence. And then what I asked was the idea of how is that going to affect how you call a defense? And he's like, well, of course it's going to. It's like, I know the answer is of course, but I need to hear you say it. And that's varying defenses, right? That's maybe throwing in some wrinkles. I think a lot of people, when you, you know, the smart film people who broke down the defense last year, I think it was just basic a lot of times. And it's like, oh, well, what's up with Kerry? And it's like, well, you know, if, you, if you're not exactly confident in everybody, you're not going to do a bunch of different things. And then also, you just didn't have any options. So even though a lot of the frontline guys, and we'll get into this with secondary, a lot of the frontline guys are the same, they're also getting pushed more. So like if they're not cutting it, they can go to somebody else. Where last year, where if they weren't cutting, it's like, what else are you going to do? Like they played Lathan Ransom in the national title game because like they finally had to, right? But it was like they didn't really have an option until then. So he said it's 180 degrees difference. Like it is, it is as stark as it can be, the level of confidence, I think, both in the starters and in the depth. And I think it will be reflected into – how they get, how they play guys, how many guys they play, and the kind of things they ask them to do this season. It's the depth, but then also the various bodies types that you have for different, you know, situations that you get into. Ryan Watts is, he talked. Ryan Watts talked about his size. Obviously, Kerry Combs talked about. It. He's six three, two hundred and five pounds as an outside corner. That's typically not what you see at corner in this day and age when receivers are smaller and faster. Guys with that build are usually safeties, but he can keep up. Brian Watts was talking about how, you know, he's still fast enough to keep up with guys as if he was 5'10". And so it's, it's, you have the, the, the stereotypical, the 6'1", 190-pound guys that Kerry Combs likes, but then you also have guys like Ryan Watts and Cam Martinez, who once. 6'3", the other one's like 5'10", 5'11", all these different various body types to prepare you for all the different weapons you might see in a season. One thing I will say, we gave them some grief last year. I don't know if that's maybe the right way to say it. We questioned whether or not you at some point have to take the leap of faith, right? Go with the talent that's at those younger classes. Maybe you haven't had a chance. Maybe they haven't proven it in practice, but when guys aren't proving it in games, maybe it's time to take that leap of faith. I will say, Doug, you kind of mentioned, you know, with like the Lathan Ransom um, example, like how much time is, was there to separate between like the Michigan State game and the semifinals? That's like still that was like five or six weeks of time, really. I think on the calendar, at least a month. So that's another month of practice, another month of reps, another month of familiarity. So I, I think I think that was like an an important thing last year that you can't forget that we can't forget that I can't forget that as we talk about these things. Well, one but, of th- but there, but the, one of the points of that is though. 
It's like, listen, they're going to beat Michigan State no matter who they play in the secondary. So if you're going to beat Michigan State no matter who you play in the secondary, maybe play Lathan Ransom so when you have to put him in against Alabama, he's a little more prepared. It's like, well, we didn't want to play Lathan Ransom until he had another five weeks of practice and he was ready to play. It's like, okay, well, if you think maybe you're going to have to play him because he's more talented than some of the other guys you have, maybe play him earlier, which helps his preparation. So that's part of it too. Like they wound up, here's the thing, whatever they did, they got the national title game. It's like, what are you going to, it's not like the secondary held them back, Mm -hmm. but you wound up trying to have Lathan Ransom cover Jalen Waddle in a situation where like Lathan Ransom had barely played. And if you thought that might happen, I would have thrown Lathan Ransom into the Michigan State game while you had a knot in your stomach because he's not going to lose you the game. It's Michigan State. So that's, I understand what you're saying, Nathan, but you can look at it both ways. Yeah. Do you wait until he has more experience or do you play him earlier to get him the experience? And I would rather play them because it, it is a little different. 2013, they should have played Von Bell earlier because they wound up losing the game because they wouldn't play Von Bell, right? So, like, that's not what happened. But I think sometimes when you make the leap of faith, it, it pays off on the backside of it because a guy takes his lumps on the field. And even when they ended up playing him in that Big Ten championship game, they didn't really take the leap of faith. They just didn't have anybody else they could put out there because Marcus Hooker was injured and then other guys had COVID. So they, it, it, leap of faith was taken out of it. It's like, well, you're the only one left, so we have to play you. And he just happened to take advantage of the opportunity and flash. And actually, if we went back and looked at the snap counts, I, I bet those younger guys did play against Michigan State. That's not the best example because that was a blowout. I think some of those younger guys did play a lot in the second half. Um, I just picked it that I just said that because it was the last regular season game that they actually played. And then the, the, yeah. the separation between yeah. that and the, the playoffs. One of the things Kerry Combs did, and there's one of part of preseason camp is always separating coach speak from what we will actually see once the season starts. And it may be sometimes the truth lies somewhere in between. Kerry Combs was asked about, you know, wanting to rotate his cornerbacks. He's like, Oh yeah, three, four, six, eight. Like he, he'll just keep, he would probably be still be, naming higher numbers like the count from uh sesame street if we were if they hadn't cut the interview short like he he wants oh, to play a lot of guys do not crack the door on another accent please do not crack the door why would you I even did, i didn't i did not that's I, nobody I wants someone it. nobody I, wants it I, I i'm pretty sure we lost our only finnish listener earlier this week from that thing that you tried to call a finnish accent by the way i went on this is i went on youtube and like looked up what is a Finnish accent and it's crazy. Like you can't really, you can't even understand that it's English. Oh, even for real? You're saying English in a Finnish accent. Yeah. It's, it's because the way that they pronounce every, they pronounce every word the same. Like how in English, like a could be pronounced like four different ways. They just pronounce it the one way I think every single time. So it, it throws off every word. Anyway, Kerry Combs wants to play a lot of cornerbacks and was essentially asked like, is this defense going to be, kind of matchup dependent are you you know whether it's the bullet whether it's what you're calling a cover safety versus a slot corner versus a nickelback like how many guys are going to play you, you were there for that part Doug and like how much did you take away from that as being like I think this defense will play a lot of guys because we're going to mark down some defensive uh, position battles later and this might affect how we think about that how much are they going to play a lot of guys and how much is that saying that they like to play a lot of guys, but it's obviously dependent on whether or not these guys turn out to be good players or not. 
No, I think, and, and he talked about, he threw in something there about, you know, well, if there's a great guy, you can't take him off the field, right? Like he sort of threw in the like, hey, we're not taking the Jeff Okudas of the world off the field. I think they can rotate this year from both strength and weakness because I don't think they have Jeff Okuda. Maybe Seven Banks will prove that wrong, but I don't think they have anybody in the secondary that is so good you can't take them off the field. But I do think they do have multiple guys that you can believe in. And so the matchup stuff, I think, is something that can be overdone because what he is talking about is, all right, if you have a cover safety slot corner, if the slot for that team is Rondale Moore or K.J. Hamler, Mm -hmm. then you'll play Cam Martinez or Marcus Williamson. If that slot is Garrett Wilson, right, then maybe you'll play Lathan Ransom. Mm -hmm. If the slot is actually a stand-up tight end, then maybe Craig Young sliding out there and you're putting two bullets on. Like, that's what he's talking about. And some teams, just like Ohio State has evolved sort of what a slot receiver is. There was a time when it was like, even three years ago, it's like, oh, a slot receiver in the Big Ten is a little fast guy. It's like, so you've got to have a corner who can cover a little fast guy. So it, that's where I think they do have different body types. They do have different styles, both at cover safety slot corner and at the bullet. We obviously see that with Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young. We can see how very different situationally things can be. And then when he says he wants to rotate outside corners, I just think that Ryan Watts and potentially other guys are probably close enough to Cam Brown and Seven Banks that they actually will go three or four deep at corner because it's not like the gap between – it's not a gap between a future surefire top ten pick who's – a guy who's going to be a top ten pick in like eight months – and a guy who's never played before. It's like the difference between like a good player and a guy who probably should have had a chance to play but didn't, but is definitely ready to play now. So if you're going to tell me the outside corner rotation is actually going to legitimately be Banks, Brown, Watts, and Cavazos, like I would believe that. Yeah. And if you're going to tell me that legitimately Marcus Williamson, Cam Martinez, and Lathan Ransom are all going to play cover safety regularly, I would believe that, both about both on the idea of matchup and on the idea of freshness. And he talked about both reasons. And I and I am I don't believe it a lot. There have been many, many years when guy when coaches say rotate and I say, ah, come on. Seriously? Either because I don't think they have the belief in the second tier guys to play them, or because the first tier guys are so good. It's like, what? You're taking that guy off the field. I don't believe you. But neither of those things to me is true in this case. Yeah, I'll, I think I'll believe three. I'll for right now, uh, seven banks, Cam Brown, right. I think I'll believe that. You 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 play two two series and you sit one. I'll believe that because that's just how it functions. I think the fourth, with all due respect to legend and but he was injured last year. He didn't play, and then like he didn't really flash that much in the spring, given how much re- how many more reps him and Le- and Ryan got because some older guys were out. I think we it's three. I could I'll, I'll comfortably say that four might depend on how much you believe in legend, but then also what you honestly think of Seven Banks because I, as we all know, there have been some p- places where he's been projected as a first rounder, whether we agree with that or not, and he's the best cornerback in the room. 
And so is he going to be the guy to what you're saying with Kerry going, we're not going to take the best players off the field. If he's the guy who falls under that category, well, then maybe it's just a two-man rotation on the other side. Or it's just a two – it's still a two – play two and sit one, and then Legend just has to wait another year. To your point, Doug, I think a lot of times when we express skepticism about those things, it, it, it's very position dependent. Like they'll say, well, you know, I mean, hey, who knows? We could play two running backs or, hey, you know, you know, these guys are, are we've got like six or seven offensive linemen. You know, we'll roll those guys if we have to. You're like, no, no, you won't. You're going to yeah. pick five offensive linemen and you're going to pick one running back or two, but you're not going to play them at the same time. So, but here it makes sense because partially because they've done it in the past and because Kerry Combs has not just expressed a desire to do that, but he's actually, we've actually seen it play out. The thing that I keep coming back to though, and I, it's okay. Depth is great. And I think they, they need more depth. And I think these younger guys probably over the course of the year will can keep showing up more and more. I could see this depth chart jumbling a little bit as it goes but to get back to something you said early on Doug do you know between Marcus Williamson Cam Brown and Seven Banks who was ranked the highest coming out of high school Marcus Marcus Williamson 182 Marcus Williamson Cam Brown 221 Uh, I'm sorry Seven Banks 221 Cam Brown 323 although he was a considered a receiver by some Um, it's just one of those things I keep coming back to because we've talked about it in other ways when we talk about recruiting we keep we we always bring it back to that point like we hold them to the standard that they set. And we've talked before about just still the lapse in, in cornerback recruiting that happened and how that's still something that's a problem. I'm just wondering if in order for this defense to be as good as it can be, if we're going to have to see that room turn over over the course of this season, are we going to have to see someone like Ryan Watts or legend Cavazos step up and assert themselves, or maybe one of those guys at slot corner assert themselves and say, I'm here now. I'm not, it, this isn't promise anymore. This isn't potential. Like I'm here and ready to play a, a frontline role in the big 10, not just a support role. I mean, you're leading us towards who's going to start. Like I, I, like, I don't know how to answer that with telling you who I think is going to play. Yeah. So I would say if you think the secondary last year wasn't good enough and the solution to the secondary is basically to play all the same guys, except Sean Wade is gone. That doesn't sound like the solution to me. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't see how that could be the case. Only improvement. Now, Cam Brown returning from injury is a big deal. And so, but basically, the way things actually kind of shook down, it's like the Cam Brown injury forced Marcus Williamson sort of to play more. And now Marcus Williamson is a guy who played a lot of it. So you're kind of just replacing Sean Wade with Cam Brown. And then if you're going to run it back with Proctor Williamson and Banks as first up at the other spots. And like, I don't, I don't know if that's good enough. So if they say, if they think it is then okay, but it's hard for me to imagine that because, and it's a lot like what's happening for instance, at running back when we get in that thing, it's like, we're talking about national championship level, that national championship level secondary. And, like, I, it's hard for me to envision a national championship secondary where those are your four starters, where it's Banks, Brown, Williamson, and Proctor. So that's, that's fine. I'm happy to be proven wrong. But I don't think the answer to all this is only relying on the guys being a year older. Yeah, Cornerback no, might, no, might be the only space on this roster where there's not a top 100 guy who's, like, consistently playing. Yeah, and I would say even at, at free safety, Josh Proctor, I think Josh Proctor is a really good football player. 
we're going to find out if he's a really good free safety. I think but that's I, still to be determined. Kerry Combs said he had his best offseason, and then Kerry Combs was like, well, I haven't been here for that many offseasons. But Gary, Kerry Combs was praising Josh Proctor. Josh <laughs> Proctor, again, at some point, you know, you let go of recruiting rankings to some yeah. degree. They, they still, you know, whatever it is. If, if, if when a guy's a freshman, you lean on his recruiting ranking like 80%, right? Then I think you maybe peel 20% off for every year that a guy is here. So it's like, all right, well, Marcus Williams is like a fifth-year guy. It's like, I, I don't honestly care where he was ranked as a recruit. We, he's been here, around long, or been here long enough. Proctor, I think you still believe in, but also I'm not 1,000% sure where else they go. Right. If it's not Brosh Proctor, mm-hmm. Bryson Shaw, right? Bryson Shaw could be for sure. Could be, but I don't, I don't, doesn't feel like somebody's like banging down the door behind Josh Proctor. No. So, whereas I do think there's a, at least a couple guys banging down the door a little bit more at corner. A couple guys I want to mention before we get into our second and third segments, we're going to mark some things down. We talked the other day about um, the praise that just gets heaped on Court Williams. And again, today, somebody tried to bring up a football question about Court Williams and immediately Kerry Combs pivots to how he is the single hardest worker that he's ever seen ever in his life across all the places he's been as a football coach. And like, I don't, Kerry Combs is an energetic guy and all football coaches have a tendency to be hyperbolic at times. But I, every time you hear that from so many people now that it seems completely sincere, that everybody is just raving about the makeup of this guy, and it makes me eager to actually watch him play football. I'm buying it all. To me, it's like the potential for tough Borland with more talent. That's, it. Uh, that's where I was going to go with it, tough Borland with more talent, yeah. So people got frustrated. Some some fans got frustrated. Wyatt Davis got frustrated. Can we, Just a little bit, though. We're Not saying, a lot. You know. I don't know if there's video of it, but that came across. Nathan retweeted it, which is why I saw it. It came across the feed the other day of, like, Wyatt Davis threw a punch at Tough Borland during Minnesota Vikings practice. And I was like, what is that? Who does that say more about? Is that – what's happening there? Is that a – Brother, you know, man. you I, took the I, last chicken breast in front of me in the buffet line when I was a sophomore, and, I, and I've been waiting to punch you since then. Or is it just the heat of the moment in football practice? Do you Without, think Wyatt Davis voted for Tough Boylan as one of the as a captain? Because the players vote on that stuff. I, I don't know. know. Without context, I kind of took it as a good sign for Tough Borland to get in there and like mix it up and piss people off. I thought that was probably a good sign for him. That's how he's going to have to get a job in the NFL. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, I'll be very curious. I, it's always fun. It's fun to see how the pro prospects uh, shake out for these guys. But anyway, I think at times, you know, fans were frustrated. I mean, we don't have to beat around the bush. Fans were frustrated by the presence of Tuck Borland on the field as much as he was there. But the reason he was there is because, is because all anybody talked about was what he does in the weight room, what he does in the film room, what he does in the locker room. And it's like, well, what about when he's not in a room? When he's on a field? Yeah. You don't play football in a room, and I'm not discounting all that, but people frustrate. So it's like, well, what if you take all that, you take the film room, the weight room, the locker room stuff, and then you put it in a guy with a little more to it, which is where I, it feels like to me we are with Court Williams. So if that's what this is, because I don't think – I mean, I'm sure he's frustrated to be injured, but I don't think this is 
because they were saying this about him like before he got here. They were saying this stuff when he was in high school. So I don't think they have to puff him up. Like I think, again, because he's Court Williams. Like Court Williams is tough. He's a backbone of steel. He's not going to get down. So I don't think they're puffing him up. When Kerry Combs says he is the most diligent worker I've ever seen, he didn't just say like, oh, he works hard. I, like I buy it. And, I, and it just, you know, again, Nathan, we, as you're saying, we keep talking about it. Man, can we see it? It's, and that's not a, just like, please let this guy get healthy and show what he can be because it sounds like he might be awesome. One last thing. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I say sure. something? I just want to be devil's advocate here. Is he flashing on the football field or is he just working very hard? No, what? Well, I'm that, not taking – to the point where you said because he's tough rolling with more talent. From an expectation point, yes, we, he has more talent. But often when they talk about him, it's the leadership stuff. It's the working well, how, hard. He hasn't the, been on the field. How much has I know he been – he has, I'm I mean, talking about right now. I'm, I'm I know. Is he on the field right now? Yeah, he's playing now. Yeah, he's on the field right now, and he was on the field la- in the few spring practices we they, they had last year before he tore his ACL. He didn't tore his ACL until, like, October. So he had plenty of time to, you know, flash on the field before that. And I'm not taking away anything. He might go out there and be amazing. I am just saying that I have yet to hear a coach say he has been flashing on the field. I'm hearing a lot of he's working very hard. He's a diligent worker. He's a future captain. I thought they liked what he did in spring ball, but two years ago, I thought that added to it, but I, I don't was, know. Yeah. Early on, I thought he was, I mean, he was on pace to have some sort of role last year was the impression that I took that he was going to get in there. I mean, obviously special teams is the way the freshmen get in there a lot, mm-hmm. but, but maybe there was even more room for him to do something. And then, uh, because obviously they were looking for an excuse to mix in bulletish things at times. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then he got hurt, and it just took that completely off the table. And we don't know how that could have turned out. But um, I, I think the answer is is somewhere in the middle. But I, I hear what you're saying, Stephen, and I was kind of what I was saying too. It's like – and sort of what Doug was saying. Like it's it, We've heard all of the, the intangible stuff, but we think mm-hmm. that behind that, they actually are excited about him as a football player too, and it's going to be fun to finally see that. The other guy I wanted to mention today, we got to talk to him today, newly christened cornerback Demario McCall. Doug, you got to talk to him a little bit. I wasn't at that table, but, uh, you know, Kerry Combs talking about him um, had a lot of good things to say about just sort of his attention to detail and a guy that is picking up a lot of things as he's learning cornerback because he doesn't have the bad habits that some of the other guys who've been playing cornerback their whole life bring into it. That doesn't actually mean he can go out there and play cornerback, but he said, I think that, you know, he's going to play for us or something like that was his actual quote. Does that mean – I mean, we know he's going to return kicks. Does it mean he's going to be part of the defense? I think that remains to be seen. But uh, an intriguing guy just for the decision to come back in the first place. Yeah, so I wound up with, like, DeMario the whole con- – I'm, like, wound up. Oh, oh. Don't make it seem like it was happened? Whose table is this? Is it DeMario? How did I wind up here? So, you know, it's one of those things, and, it, and it's still um, – it's a little bit of a reflex to this that we all have to get ourselves out of in this modern world that when you talk about transferring with a guy who didn't transfer, you make transferring sound like quitting, right? That's kind of, it's like, Oh, it's like DeMario didn't give up and transfer. It's like transferring is not giving up. Transferring is like, there's no room for me here. I would like to play football, which is a completely reasonable thing to do. And he didn't do it. So he wants to be here. He graduated in May. 
he would like to get into coaching. I talked to him a little bit at the end as we were walking. You know, we talked about NIL, sponsoring Buckeye Talk. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but, you know, I wanted to make sure he knew that we, if it could happen, we'd be happy to have a little DeMario McCall uh, commercial. But, like, he wants to be a coach. And we talked about that when I, at the interview. Like, he wants to be a coach. And I said, man, I mean, like, you, you get done playing at Ohio. And your resume is I played offense and defense at Ohio State, right? And now I would have – it's like, what a great – what a great – and special teams, yeah. Like, what a great, yeah. what a great thing, yeah. right? What a great resume. So he just wants to help, right? I mean, like he just he said, I like I I go back and think about. I asked him about his very first game because again, the whole thing about tomorrow is like he he scored a touchdown against Bowling Green, like his first game in 2016. It's so long ago. And that, that idea, and then he was like, yeah, I didn't even really realize it until I was like my sophomore or junior year. I was like, man, I'm playing for Ohio State. Like how awesome that is. And so he's one of these guys he talked about growing up. You know, you grow up, you deal with things in your life that, you know, not playing at Ohio State is not the toughest thing he's ever dealt with in his life. So like he wants to stick around. And as you said, Kerry Combs was saying that Barnes called him a lump of clay. You can mold him, no bad habits. But he was also saying, well, I played defense in high school. You know, that it, that it's, it's, it, I, he's a little bit in between. It's not completely new to him, but also he hasn't done it in five years. So he, he doesn't have any habits. So, you know, they're saying you go in the film room sometimes and they're breaking down quarterback technique. And it's like, Hey, who did this the best in this drill? And it's like, Oh, Demario. Cause he, he did exactly what the coach said. So does that mean he's going to wind up covering Justin Ross <laughs> in a playoff semifinal? That, to me, does not sound like the way to win a national championship. But could DeMario help you? Like, whatever that means. I, it's very hard to change positions in your sixth year. And he said today, I kind of wish I'd done it sooner. Like, now that I've done it, I wish I'd done it sooner. But he also said when someone said, oh, when you coach, what do you want to coach? He's like, offense. So he is an offensive guy who over time has realized now his best shot probably is on defense. But, like, it's late. It's just late. Yeah. So I don't think – I mean, this is one of those where I don't believe, oh, he's going to play. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Is he going to play meaningful snaps at cornerback? I don't know what that looks like. But I think fans will appreciate the fact that this is a guy who wants to be here, wants to help in any way he can, and is trying something completely new in that pursuit. And, like, what else do you want from a guy? And by the way, I forgot to ask him about this because it really wasn't on my mind. But just kind of hearing some stuff like, you know, he had the video from the locker room, right? Mm -hmm. What was that? And, and it was, was it just, Ryan, Ryan yeah, Day saying we're going to kick somebody's booty or something? What was the Yeah, video? it was just normal uh, coach talk of him saying whoever gets whoever we play next whoever gets our way we're going to kick their butt with, with more expletives in it but it, yeah like it wasn't the craziest video in the world it was just the fact that it clearly wasn't supposed to be for public consumption right and so he did not get asked about that but he was prepared to be asked about that and i think he is very grateful that like they didn't boot him for that you know what I mean? That like he knows that would, and again, and like in the list of things that a young person on a college sports team can do, like that is relatively minor, right? I mean, obviously, but it's also not good. Like you broke the sanctity of the locker room. It's not cool. 
and that the coaches are like, didn't, he's not out there running laps while everybody else is practicing. Like, I think he realizes and is appreciative of the opportunity that he's getting here in year six. And I think the way he'll help them is like he said, I never want to show anybody that I'm down. So he is an upbeat dude with a smile on his face who loves football and loves being a Buckeye. And that's a pretty good guy to have a practice. Yeah, I think it's it's a fun story to kind of have in the background. I, I assume he'll be returning kicks again, but where his where his impact is beyond that, I don't know. But I think he's a guy that um, that people will have a different appreciation for when he leaves. And I think you're right. It'd be interesting if he had made this switch when he was a sophomore and they were just just loaded with cornerbacks. It wouldn't seem like it didn't make any sense at the time. But if he had been playing cornerback for four years now, he's a good athlete. About. Yeah. You know, it's just hard now. I mean, it's a little bit like Braxton making the switch late, right? That like right. your athleticism can take you so far, but then when it comes down to like, well, you know, other guys have been running routes or been covering things and moving their body in this way for years and years and years, and you just started doing it. It's just hard to catch up. After the break, we're going to start marking down who we think is going to win some position battles. I don't know if Demario McCall's name is going to come up there, but some other guys will stick around with us here on Buckeye Talk. We are back on Buckeye Talk. It is a Market Down Monday, and we are marking down some of the position battles that are going on for Ohio State camp here. We're three preseason practices in. Figure we should set some ground rules here. We are picking the people who will start on opening day. The 11 players on each side, offense and defense, that will start opening night, I should say, at Minnesota, September 2nd. Okay. We will probably all have some caveats to throw in there, but is that – do you guys disagree that's how we should be picking it? Oh, that's perfect. Because that's something that we can mark down and be right or wrong about. Yeah. Right. And I think if we were to say, oh, who's going to start the Michigan game, well, then you throw, start throwing in a whole right. bunch of, like, what-ifs. Yeah. And, and I think Injuries and, weird. like, yeah. Yeah. So I think the way we're picking this. But I think, I think we should give ourselves room to mark it down, but then also say yes. when there's going to be, like, a, if we think there's going to be, like, some 50-50 timeshare at a position or something like that mm-hmm. to be as, like, the caveat there. Because I think it's all about trying to actually give people insight into the team more than, like, thump our chests about hitting the bullseye. I'm a big chest thumper. I'm, I'm quite uh, – my chest is a little concave. There was a guy I saw at the Olympics who looked like his chest was like inside of itself. I didn't even – he was like a diver or something. And I thought, I don't know how that guy breathes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a theoretical chest thumper, not a literal chest thumper. Figuratively, I would like to thump my chest. Literally, if I thump my own chest, I'd break my ribs. I have a question. Do you have – how, do you have how many positions we're marking down that you have decided are, are close enough that are, be, are worthy of this discussion? Because I made a guess on how many yeah, we're doing. Same. I think there are six spots on defense and three on offense. And, six and, on and, defense and, and seems maybe, high to me. Maybe but. only five on defense, actually. I had four on defense, so this is, I'm intrigued to see what uh, what we're doing. Well, okay. let, let's talk about I, that. I had real four quick. and a half. I had four and a half. Let's talk about that real quick. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five on defense that I absolutely I think are locked in. We're going to mark down defense first. That was where I was going to go with this anyway, since we were talking about the corners up front. Um, Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith. Any dispute that those are the starting defensive ends? No. no. Haskell Garrett at defensive tackle. Agreed. Seven, three tech, seven, yeah. 
yeah, three techs, seven banks as one of the starting outside corners and Josh Proctor as a starting free safety. Yeah. Agree. So then I think the other ones that are like borderline for me, Taraja Mitchell at will linebacker. I think Uh, that's locked in. Yeah. I I don't know that we would have any reason to not think it's locked in. Right. And I agree with that. So I will include him on the, the, the ones that are locked in. All right, so I want to talk about the others because even if we think that those are obvious, I think they're, they, they bear some mention. We'll start in the secondary since we're already talking about the secondary. Slot cornerback. This was Marcus Williamson's job last year. Yep. Marcus Williamson was with the first string defense when I saw him the other day, I think, right? Steven, you were watching him on, on – He was first on, on Wednesday, Wednesday as well. Yeah, Wednesday when they had more scrimmage stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So should we assume that Marcus Williamson keeps that job and is a starting slot corner for the first snap on opening night? Because we assume that they probably, they will be throwing an offense, a defense out there that has three corners and a free safety, regardless of what to do with the linebackers. Or do we think Lathan Ransom is coming to take that job by the end of the preseason? I think that's really what the question is. I don't know that there's somebody else at this point to include in that conversation. Yeah. No way is it an assumption that Marcus Williamson is the starter in my book. Cause I'm not picking him to be the starter. So he, he played the third most snaps in the secondary last year behind seven banks and Sean Wade. Right. But this is my thing of like, Hey, our secondary wasn't good enough. Okay, cool. What are you going to do? Play the same guys. Cool. So I think Lathan Ransom is going to take that job. And I am on alert for Cam Martinez working into a great degree. And if in the name of matchups and freshness, this turns into fairly quickly some kind of rotation between Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez. Marcus Williamson, prove us wrong. That's, that's fine. But at some point, like what, I, I, again, I, I just don't know how you get better if you don't change up a couple spots. I think Lathan Ransom will be the starter and he'll be working, uh, by practice 10, he'll be working with the ones. So you guys both think by opening night, Lathan Ransom is the starting slot corner on this team. Yes. yes, I agree. I thought we saw enough from him. The fact that he was ahead of the game to the point where he was getting those kinds of snaps in the national championship game, important snaps at, at nickel, um, I, told me a lot. And he's kept flashing since then. And I think there's a, an appreciation, as there should be, for what Marcus Williamson does and is for this team. And uh, I think he'll have a role. But I think as they start determining who the best 11 players are or the best three cornerbacks or four cornerbacks are for that starting lineup, I think Lathan Ransom is going to win that job. So to double check on the snaps we were talking about with Lathan Ransom, and we haven't referenced our good friends at the 11 Warriors snap count chart in a while, Lathan Ransom played one snap against Michigan State. And then in the next three games in the postseason, he played 12, 28, and 9. So he played one snap against Michigan State. In a dog game when, like, half the team had COVID. He played one defensive snap. And then he played 28 snaps against Clemson. But, again, as a comparison of where we were a year ago, Lathan Ransom played a total of 49 snaps in the Big Ten championship game and the two playoff games. Marcus Williamson played 189 snaps. In those three games. To be fair. So 189 to 49. 
to be fair, they started doing – I think the Bama game especially, they started doing some two-safety stuff where yep. Marcus Williamson was basically a safety. So he, Correct. Lathan Ransom did steal his job. They also just moved Marcus Williams into another job because That's they right. don't play Marcus Hooker. Right. So but – the, but the point remains, Marcus Williamson was on the field a lot last year. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't – I just keep saying it. How do you get better if you play the same guys? And I think it's one of those things where Kerry Combs is still talking about, like, the first guy's name out of his mouth on the third day of preseason practice is going to be Marcus Williamson, I think, for a reason. Uh, but, I, again, I think that talent is going to win out here. I think that this defense, as you've said, Doug, they can't afford to go into this season with the same lineup as last season. That lineup wasn't good enough. And I think that Lathan Ransom has shown that he is coming. Like, there's, there's a ceiling that he is still reaching for that you can't necessarily say that about some of these veteran guys. And I, I have a feeling that, as you guys do, he takes that job by the end of the preseason. And it feels like they want to play Cam Martinez. It feels like yeah. as soon as they are 100% sure that Cam Martinez, who was a high school quarterback who played a bunch of different positions and who they turned into a DB, as soon as they're like 100% sure that this guy's got the whole cornerback thing down, like they're going to find a way for him to play because I think they want him on the field because I think he's a football player. And also, this doesn't mean that Marcus Williamson plays zero, right? He can be in a rotation here. He can play a little outside corner. He might wind up backing up Josh Proctor at deep safety. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sweeping Marcus Williamson aside. I just don't know that he's one of your starting 11 if you're trying to win it all. That's exactly how I feel about it. Outside cornerback, we know seven banks locked in at one. Are we thinking that is any kind of a position battle, or are we assuming that Cam Brown is the starting corner opposite banks on September 2nd? I don't think it's a battle. I just think they're both going to play, but Cam Brown's going to be the first person we see take the field. That sounds right to me. I think think it is – Multiple people involved, Cam Brown probably first up. And again, Kerry Combs on Friday when somebody said, hey, Cam Brown was out there. He said like, yeah, looked pretty good, didn't he? You know, like I just think everybody is really happy for Cam Brown. And Kerry Combs made the point again that he was playing well before he got hurt. He just only got to play like two games or whatever it was until he went down. And so, and that's the thing that as much as I'm saying, oh, are you just playing the same guys? How are you going to get better? Some percent of their secondary problems last year resulted from the Cam Brown injury because they had no depth. And once he went down, they started playing guys they wouldn't have played as much otherwise. So his return, like, is a big deal. It really is. He played 23 snaps in the opener, and he got he got 16 snaps in before he got hurt uh, in the next game. And then all of a sudden, you're just, like, in a different spot defensively. So he does really matter. Yeah, I wonder if just – if the Indiana game alone would have turned out a little bit differently, just having Cam Brown at your disposal that day, because they had already, you know, started switching over yeah. some things, playing some guys a little more in the second half, and then things got weird. Uh, maybe even that Rutgers game too. I don't know. All right, looking around the rest of the defense. Okay, Mike linebacker, Stephen, you were in on Cody Simon early on. Cody, 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 Cody. And, and uh, I, I didn't get a good indication of, of who was lining up there order-wise today because, like I said, they didn't really do a lot of scrimmage stuff. Yeah. But just based on where they lined up Wednesday, I think I'm going to also mark it down that Cody Simon wins that job to start the season. Come on down to Cody Simon Island. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we get it. I buy it too. I buy it too. Cool. For sure. 
like, and that's no offense to Dallas Camp, but like healthy or hurt, um, I think I I think Stephen was right. I think it's also one of those things that you know it, it isn't that he that Dallas Gant lost anything in the spring, lost a job because it wasn't his job to lose. But when you can't play at all, and it's no fault of his own, and the other guy is flashing, it, that's hard to get back. It's you you can't get that time back, and now they have that impression of Cody Simon that if it worst, if, and if it worst, it's a tie. I don't. You might lean towards the guy who still has more to grow and, and the higher ceiling that'll pay dividends for you two more years beyond this year, as as opposed to the senior. And what's interesting is Al Washington, and we'll get to it when we get to the running back situation. Tony Alford aren't doing what they're doing in the secondary, where the first two times he's been to practice, the older guys are just out there, and we're having to have the discussion that the younger, more talented guys are eventually going to take the spot. The younger, more talented guy is just taking the spot from day one. Like, it, it, he didn't do – there was no Dallas Gantt and Taraja Mitchell were just out there as the older 2018 guys to start off with because they wanted to give Dallas Gantt an opportunity since he was injured all spring. Or even Kayvon Pope. They just threw Cody Simon out there and are just rolling along. I mean, this is what our listeners and Ohio State fans beg for. They mm-hmm. beg for, like, the talented young guy to pass – the slightly less talented veteran. That's mm. that's what everybody wants at every position all the time. And so that's what this is. He's the number 75 recruit in the class of 2020. He's a second-year guy. And I don't even want to use the word stealing, but like a second-year guy who's apparently like seems to be taking a job yeah. that wasn't necessarily there, but he's taking it. And it's like, okay, I think that's what happens on good teams. Yeah, I think it's exactly what's supposed to happen, especially on a team like Ohio State that – you, you, you recruit those guys in and hope that they develop quickly because you're always going to have uh, somewhere for them to slot in, um, unless you're any of these seniors who didn't have that opportunity behind the other linebackers the last four years. You mean you um, spend your entire time blocked, and then now that you finally have an opportunity, the young guy yeah. takes your job. And I think as as Doug was saying with Marcus Williamson, I think Dallas Gant plays. I think Kayvon Pope maybe even plays. I think I, – I don't know. On one hand, that seems to be like just a natural thing that you would assume that some of these older guys will get some kind of mix. Mm -hmm. But I don't at the same time, sometimes the guys get locked in as starters. And then what 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 real consequential snaps do other people get? I mean, other than the positions where people naturally rotate like defensive tackle, maybe at the corners and defensive end. A lot of times it ends up being like the same guys for the majority of the snaps. Uh, Bullet. We believe this to be the third linebacker spot, although it's tough to call it a linebacker because they work out with the safeties. But that what used to be the same linebacker, we believe, is now the bullet. That is the base defense. Who do we think is the starting bullet on opening night? So this is when, like, I was putting X's and circles for whether a spot is secured or whether there's a battle. And I put a question mark for the bullet yeah. because I feel like it's secured by two guys. And I have no idea who they're going to start. And I don't think it matters. And so I almost feel like we can't mark it down between Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman. And I just don't know that we have an indication that Court Williams is storming into that position for all the things that Kerry Combs said about him today. We just still don't exactly know where Court Williams fits. And it just feels like Hickman and Young are slotted here and they're going to split it based on staying fresh 
and matchups. Yeah. And that if it's a bigger guy, it'll be a bigger guy they have to deal with or more of a run-heavy team or whatever, it'll be young. And if it's more of a pass-heavy thing, it'll be Hickman and whatever. So, like, I almost think, like, we can skip marking it down while explaining it because it's both. Yeah, this is the one spot where or should be okay. Just because in order to answer it, you have to know more about Minnesota. And, I mean, we're four weeks until that game is played, so none of us are – our minds are not there right now. We're focused on who's going to play. But but it's actually like an and. Like, it's not an or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an and. It's like it's these two guys. It's him and him. Yeah. And if we can't play them at the same time, but they're literally going to have the exact same number of snaps this year mm-hmm. because they are – it's a platoon. It's like a left-handed hitter and a right-handed hitter. And so, like, who's your starter? It's like, I don't know. Who's pitching? They're both the starter. They're neither the starter, but that's who's playing that position. And then, I mean, the complicating factor why you wouldn't say this, like what you could mark down is, like, is Court Williams something here all of a sudden? But we're still Mm -hmm. not exactly sure exactly where Court Williams is fitting into things. And, again, he's coming back from a fairly serious injury, right? So, like Mm – okay, we got to see us in ACL from October, as Kerry Combs pointed out. Like, it's like, hey, hey, why are you not? It's like, well, it's an ACL. It's only in October. So I think – I feel like I'm on hold with Court Williams, right? He's out there, but I don't feel like we can put him yeah, in a lineup. Yet, yeah. Right? No, he would be third on my list as to who you might pick for here. It, it, like you were saying, it's, it's a Hickman or, or Young that I would – lean towards and it's the one position that is it's dependent as you say it's almost dependent on who they're opening with as to what guess you would make like if they were opening with indiana i might guess that their hickman would be the guy and if they're opening with wisconsin i might guess that young is the guy and then minnesota is kind of in the middle there though with ibrahim maybe they and the lack of receivers maybe you would lean towards young there and and frankly like if it's wisconsin it might be dallas gant because they're probably just playing three linebackers you know so like i think there's like a third linebacker that that works in there that you know that or four well yeah I mean they played Justin Hilliard against Wisconsin last year so yeah I mean that's so that's it's just a tough to get a read on but I just like like Court Williams is like frozen in carbonite until they until they tell us that he's not but but I guess if you if 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 he's the one I don't think could start on opening night because of, of like being eased back in. Yes. If Court Williams had never gotten hurt, I think he might be the bullet. Maybe. I think he might be ahead of both of them. I agree. But maybe, but both he, those guys, I think, I are did get hurt. too. Yeah, but nobody talks about him the way they talk about Court Williams. Not to make it a, but like, I mean, like Court Williams just That's feels true. like a guy. I think Court Williams felt like a guy to me when he got here. He's going to be a three year starter. So it's like, all right, well, this is his second year. Like, this would be the first, you know, and again, I think they would have maybe found a role for him last year if he'd stayed healthy. So it's just dependent on the knee, dependent when he's himself. But, and, and then we'll have to see. When Craig Young, Ronnie Hickman, and Court Williams are all healthy, I'll be very curious to see how they work all that stuff out. Nose tackle. And this is a, an interesting one because I don't know if they really care that much about the nose tackle definition based on the personnel that they have. On Wednesday, it was Teron Vincent who was in there as the other defensive tackle next to Haskell Garrett with the first string defense that uh, Steven was watching him. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, I just saw a lot of line drills. I didn't really see them, like I said, like lining up in scrimmage stuff. So I didn't get a good like secondary look at that. But that makes the most sense to me 
And I think Teron Vincent is their – and Haskell Garrett are their two most talented defensive linemen, defensive tackles. And if Teron Vincent is finally healthy, it would make sense to me that he takes that job. I think Antoine Jackson would probably be the next most likely guy if I'm thinking of it in terms of a battle. What do you guys see developing there? I'd lean Antoine Jackson starts. And for now, Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett are just three techs. And then I think situationally, you'll see Teron Vincent and Haskell Garrett out there together. I don't think that's just going to be the norm down to down because there are enough nose tackles on this team that on this roster who can play this year. So I'd lean more Antoine Jackson's the starter. And then maybe at times you see either Haskell or Teron be the nose tackle so they can get them both on the field. I still think that as coaches say about every position, it's like, we're going to get the best guys out there. So whatever that means, we'll get so, and if, you know, if you think Haskell Garrett and, Teron Vincent are the two best guys. Like I feel like they'll find a way to get him out there. And so I would I'll mark down that it is Teron Vincent mm-hmm. next to Haskell Garrett. But then as you know, we know they're going to rotate defensive tackles. We know there are going to be times, as we said, where only one of Vincent and Garrett's going to be on the field and they're going to be next to a more of a true nose like Antoine Jackson. But I'll I'll predict, I'll mark down that they start together. By the way, uh, Teron Vincent and Antoine Jackson are essentially, at least by what they're on the roster, essentially the same size. Yeah. Teron yep. Vincent is actually five pounds heavier. So uh, neither of them, y- indeed. But I, they, neither of them are built like Togiai to me. I mean, Togiai mm-hmm. was like central casting nose tackle. Uh, both of these guys, I think, could play three technique too. In fact, have played three technique at times. And obviously, Teron Vincent has exclusively played it, really, in case you start – unless you start talking about, like, some, maybe some, some Rushman packages and stuff where he's subbed in. So uh, – but I think Doug's right. I think this might come down to just, like, who are four for, – who are four, Ohio State's four most talented defensive linemen. And I think that, that Vincent probably wins out there. So I think that I think that covers every position. I think that's and we're in pretty mm-hmm. close line. That's like the only one where we have some disagreement. Um, slot corner going to Lathan Ransom, outside corner going to Cam Brown, uh, middle linebacker Mike linebacker going to Cody Simon, Bullet going to that one's the one we're kind of just passing on because there, I don't think there's enough information really to even take a great guess. And then nose tackle uh, split between Antoine Jackson and Teron Vincent, though that's obviously a position where they're going to rotate a lot regardless of who starts. Any position, like who's the guy that, that we haven't mentioned yet? Or maybe we've also mentioned him, but we didn't mention him as a starter. Like we should probably do another episode of this, like who we're driving the bus for. Hmm. Like Ryan Watts might be that guy for me. Defensively, hmm, that's hard. Because like driving the bus, I know maybe it's supposed to be like a guy who's been around a while and hasn't gotten his shot yet, but I, but I suppose it could mean anything. Watts is the one to me that intrigues me a lot because I feel like with his size – if they're right about him and he hits it this year, you're putting a pretty special athlete on well, the field. But, I mean, you can say that about any 6'3 guy that lines up at corner. I mean, it just it jumps off the, the roster sheet when you have a 6'3 listed for a corner. Well, there right? aren't that so, many guys that, that, that are 6'3 that are listed at corner. No, I know, but like I can remember there have been enough times at Ohio State where people have gotten excited about tall receivers because they're tall. And then it's like, they're yeah. going to be a great red zone target. It's like, yeah, it didn't happen. So um, I'm not saying that, it, that it's not that, but it's like I'm wary of tall. Um, I mean, I'm the tallest person on this podcast, and pfft, what does it get me, right? I mean, I'm much taller than both well of you. Well said. Like much taller. Much taller. 
One more time. I don't think people heard you. How tall are you? I'm like six one and a half. I'm quite, I'm pretty tall. I'm like five nine on a really good day. Probably more like five eight. I'm like five ten. What did they list you at like in high school, Stephen? <laughs> six <listed> four. <laughs> no, they listed, oh, don't yeah, believe like, those rosters. They definitely listed me at like six one in high school. <laughs> yeah. So so I, I mean I I probably would it's hard because it's like, where are their spots? I probably would be Cam Martinez. Just like, I think the guy's a football player. I think they think he's a football player. It's just like waiting for it. Like all systems go. And when it goes, he, he might be like exactly what they're looking for somewhere. And all of a sudden you're starting to look for like places for other guys to play. Cause it's like, well, I don't know about Cam Martinez, but like, he's got to be on the field a lot. So maybe him. That's like I mean, such a storyline for to, to like. There's some guys that come in and like, yeah, they demand to be played right away. And then there's the other guys that, man, I know that guy's a good football player, but where does he go on the field? And I think that applies to like Demari McCall. Demari McCall is objectively a really good football player. There was just never a place to put him uh, outside of kick returns. Obviously, I mean Cody for a while, but I'm gonna he's probably a starter now, so I'll hop off. I'm gonna go off the radar and go Ty Hamilton, and with the idea that he's Davon Hamilton but is progressing faster. They had a lot of good things to say about him uh, before the season started last year. Some good things were said about him in spring camp. I'm going to assume when we get Larry Johnson again, he's going to bring up Ty Hamilton again, and a lot of the other guys will. I won't be surprised if he's in whatever the rotation is, and and we get to a point where we're talking about the top, the the Teron Vincent, the Antoine Jackson, high school Garrett, uh, Jerron Cage. But I won't be shocked if Larry Johnson goes, I feel like I can pay five or six guys in there, and Ty Hamilton's one of those guys. It's another good one. And, like, you don't have to hop off Cody Simon. It's like you've won on Cody Simon. Yeah, no. It's just that you already won, like, as camp started. That's a really good one, Ty Hamilton, because if you're really looking for, like, could Ty, it's like, could Ty Hamilton start a playoff game that if they want to line up, like, a real nose next to Haskell yeah. Garrett, and it's, like, by then – could it be it Ty out. Hamilton? Like that's not a that's if we're trying to off the radar somebody different. That's a pretty good pick. I think that's a great pick. After the break, we're going to mark down the offensive position battles here on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, it's Market Down Monday. We are marking down the remaining position battles at here at the start of Ohio State's preseason camp offense fewer positions that I feel like are actually up for grabs. Uh, all the three starting right receiver spots, I think we feel are locked in. Olave Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I've seen nothing that makes me think that those aren't going to be the starting three receivers on opening night, correct? Yep. Yeah, the battle there is like, what's the next look like if they rotate anywhere, aka if they ro- bring Jackson Smith and Jigba off the field, what happens? Yeah, and I suppose, like, uh, uh, technicality here is that sometimes they started – two tight ends last year on the first snap of the night, mm-hmm. which meant that your, your third receiver isn't starting, but we're not going to play that game. And I don't know if they'll do that as much this year, but obviously Jeremy Ruckett will be starting at one at tight end and Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere will be the starting tackles. Mm-hmm. Harry Miller. It looks like, I think that might be decided now. Like we thought that was going to be like a thing lingering out there, but I think he's the starting center. I'll buy that. Yeah. I mean, I think we'd all mark him down for that. So it's like if we all definitely agree, then I don't have to mark it down. Yeah, just because I think I'm going to erase what happened in the Michigan State game out of my mind with because of the bad snaps. Mm-hmm. He had 12 hours notice 
that he was going to be playing center after playing left guard all season. And so that's not a good indication of what he might be as a center. He's still a former five-star recruit who was a number two center in his class, who was entering his second year as a starter and finally gets to play and was the second string center after not showing up for spring practice his freshman year. So I think they're, I think he'll be fine. I think Harry Miller could go on that, the old, um, what do we call it? Like the Marshawn Lattimore, um, the uh, the watch Malik list, Cooker award, yeah, Malik Cooker Ooh, watch list, like yeah. guys in their third year who maybe fell out of favor or hadn't gotten their shot yet or whatever, yeah. and it seemed like their star had dimmed a little bit, and all of a sudden it's like boom, Harry Miller's here. Like I I could totally see that happening this year. Yeah. Yep. And Paris Jackson at right guard, like Johnson, I, Johnson, Paris Johnson at right guard. Yes, like there mm-hmm. seems to be nothing yep. uh, scuttling that. So that locks up eight spots. So we'll get right to the big one, left guard. So literally Matthew, big one, not figuratively. <laughs> Matthew Jones and Josh Fryer are the ones who are really battling it out there. I suppose Luke Whipler could be considered on like the fringe of that. But as far as guys who are actually getting first string snaps right now, it's been split up through first three practices, or at least the 10 periods that have been open to us. It's been – Fryer and it's been Jones and I that's a little bit surprising I think we thought coming into the coming out of the spring that Fryer was a guy that they liked as a depth piece and his versatility and he could back up multiple spots maybe I don't know that I thought he was really going to compete for a starting spot but here we are do you guys think this is something that's going to go down to the wire and who's going to win it I think we're sort of talking about this today I think it is in from the way they've talked about him, I think they believe it is probably in the best interests of both those players to be pushed and yes. to push each other. Yeah. And so that even if they have an idea of who they might do it, they might want to rotate these guys up until game week to make to try bring out the best in both of them. So I'm not saying it's like a fake competition, but I think like the competition is good. It's it's a little bit like Dallas Ganton, Cody Simon, but also not like that, but it's an 18 guy and a 20 guy, mm-hmm. except with the 18 guy and the 20 guy, the 20 guy is like the bigger recruit. With this one, the 18 guy is the bigger recruit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to go with Matthew Jones. Like I'm going to I'm going to say like when they put him in last year, when they needed him, he pretty much did his job, right? I mean, he yeah. basically did his job. And I don't know that he's done anything wrong here. He's just been a little bit blocked again. And again, this is like a top 100 guy. And so Fryer has like plenty of time, right? And I just think that they, they want to bring out the best in him, but he has plenty of time. And next year when Paris Johnson is playing tackle and Josh Fryer having gone through this competition – I think it's very possible that like Josh Fryer winds up as your sixth guy, right? I mean, maybe it's him, maybe it's Whippler, maybe it's Dewan Jones. I don't know. But all of a sudden, if somebody gets hurt and you're sliding stuff around, you know Josh Fryer's ready. But is Josh Fryer as a second-year guy actually going to beat out fourth-year Matt, fourth Matthew Jones? I, I don't think so. So I'll mark down Jones. That's literally what I was about to, to bring up, was that they only need one starting guard right now but they need two next year, assuming Paris Johnson moves outside. And I think that's in the back of their minds here. And I think you're right. I think it's guys, the way they've talked about them, they love what they see when they're at their best. They're concerned with what they see when they're not at their best. And you're just pushing two guys. And 
I agree with Doug. I would also mark down that Matthew Jones wins this job for opening day. Matthew Jones was the guy that got to start in place of Harry Miller last year in the semifinals. He also started the national championship game, I believe, even though Miller was able to come back for that game and did play. So they were turning to him at crucial times last year um, over Paris Johnson, over guys who are mm-hmm. maybe objective, objectively higher ceiling talents. Something was going on with Matthew Jones in the spring that we don't know fully about. There was somebody in one of the uh, Zoom calls said something about, well, he's got something going back, going home back home. So I don't know. I don't want to get too far into that speculation about just if it's something that the coaching staff feels like they need to help him focus, need to kind of get him locked in. And I'm not saying that Josh Fryer is only getting these opportunities as some kind of um, motivator for Matthew Jones, because I think legitimately they do like him. But I think experience plus talent wins out if it's going to be, if it really is an even battle. We saw this a little bit in the past with, I guess, even Nicholas Petit Frere and Paris Johnson last year, although Nicholas Petit obviously showed, proved himself to be a pretty tremendous football player last year you could even go back a year before that when it was Bowen and Nicholas Petit Frere Brandon Bowen and Nicholas Petit Frere and they thought it was like back and forth and and really close and Brandon Bowen won that job so just based on precedent I think Matthew Jones wins the job I'm gonna prepare to be wrong here um and I'm gonna go Josh Fryer and I understand yeah that was gonna be part of my point they picked him over Paris they they picked Matthew Jones, when Harry Miller went down last year, when, whenever they had a COVID issue, they just they whether it was the Michigan State game or it was you know in the playoff, they went with Matthew Jones because the options were Matthew Jones, who's been here for three years, or two freshmen who didn't have a regular spring practice, spring camp, and they didn't have a regular season. So you, obviously, you weren't going to throw a true freshman offensive lineman out there, even if it is they are Paris Johnson. I think. <laughs> He had. I know you. You said he. He's been blocked, Doug, but he hasn't been blocked the same way those linebackers have been blocked, where it's proven guys. He's getting passed up. He could have been a starter as a third-year guy last year as a left guard, and they gave the job to Harry Miller. And he should be a starter this year. They're giving the uh, right guard, but they're just giving that job to Paris Johnson. Well, it's two we, five stars. It's two five stars. It's not like they're giving it to guys off the street. But he's but yeah. not. But it's right. But he's not in the three hundreds. This guy's a top fifty recruit in his own right. I I I I just think that at, we've reached the point with him where last year he got some opportunities because they didn't necessarily have other options to go through. Josh, we we've talked about in a lot in that 2020 recruiting class, they t- took some lower rated guys in the offensive line because they just for the sake of taking some lower offensive rated offensive guys. And at some point, somebody was going to hit Josh Fryer has clearly been the one that's hitting. And I think he's going to end up winning this job because of it. Uh, again, as we point out, Matthew Jones started the semifinal and the national championship game last year. He played 205 snaps last year. Josh Fryer played four. So, I mean, that's a, and to Steven's point, I'm not making the point that like, oh, well, that means he's definitely better because a freshman offensive lineman was not going to play last year, as we mm-hmm. saw with Paris Johnson. But as it factors into this competition, Matthew Jones has started in the national championship game and mm-hmm. started against Clemson, and Josh Fryer has played four offensive snaps in his career. So as it affects this battle, I think that is a big gap to make up. And to me – like Matthew Jones would have to lose this, like would almost like have to actively be not good. Like clearly like not like they'd be like, Oh my God, we can't play that guy. We've got to play Fryer. Whereas if it's both are fine, as Nathan kind of said, they usually lean the older guy. 
And like for a guy who was rated in the 800s as a recruit to like be in line to start in year three, cool. Like that's great. Like I think it's like the the Fryer. This would be Josh Fryer jumping ahead, and Matthew Jones kind of falling off. Both of those would have to happen, I think, for for Fryer to win it. It's possible, but um, I I just almost feel like they would let Jones almost show it in the regular season that he couldn't do it, right? Like that if it's – I think Fryer would have to blow him off the field in camp, right, for them to actually do it. And maybe Fryer will be the starter in week five if Matthew Jones isn't getting it done, but I'll just take, I'll just take Jones for week one. And for what it's worth, this is – yes, guy in the 800s, all that's true. It's also a guy Ryan Day said on Wednesday could be an all-Big Ten player this year. Well, that's not exactly what he said. What he said if was he plays take, to that, yeah. He said if you take his best ten plays, he looks all Big Ten. You take his worst ten plays, he looks like he doesn't belong on the field. You know, he said he looks tired because he's not in shape. So if he right. gets in shape, looks like he's not up to the challenge. Basically, though, yeah. and instead, similar things about Matthew Jones at Big Ten Media Day. So I agree with Doug that it seems like it's guys, two guys that they think this competition and 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 pitting them kind of side by side is probably making them both better. I, I also agree with Doug, though, that like I feel like, this feels like it's headed for a tie, and I they don't often tie break to the younger guy, is what I've seen in the last couple of years. Now there have been there have been some surprises here. We only have to go back to last year. We were a little bit surprised, although we had some intel that pushed us towards um, um, Marcus uh, Hooker being the guy that would maybe have the edge at free safety and that's how it turned out so we've been surprised before off of some of the assumptions we had made the previous spring but this would I think be a pretty big one to me if Matthew Jones doesn't start on opening day that's fair like I said I'll prepare to be wrong here I'm prepared to be wrong Buckeye talk (laughs) Uh, running back this has been one that's been lingering there we knew this was going to come down to this camp and I don't think we're expecting to have an answer in the next day or two. Uh, the reps have rotated the same on the, the two days that we've seen so far. It was um, Mayan Williams first, Master Teague second, Marcus Crowley third, Trevion Henderson fourth. Who takes the first snap on opening night? Done. What are you? What do you guys make of Mayan Williams taking reps ahead of Master Teague right now? Like, let's deal with that first. Like, okay. what what do you make of that? Nothing. Huge, weird, interesting, injury related. What is that? All I, of those things. Yeah, some of it might be um, to the point of easing people. Like Cam Brown didn't do the, the, any competitive stuff on Wednesday, which is why it was interesting to see him out there making plays on Friday. Maybe some of it's that they want to ease Master T back into it. Some of it might be rewarding Mayan Williams for basically, I guess, you know, building off of the momentum he had in the Clemson game and having a good spring. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard. It, it, yeah, all of the above is probably a good answer. I can't remember if Ryan Day used this term or if someone asked him the question and he just answered it, but the term pitch count was out there when we talked to him on Wednesday about whether guys are getting – a full allotment of reps and some guys are getting backed off of that because they're coming off of injury. And he confirmed that, that there are guys who, because they're coming off of injury, Kerry Combs today was talking about, we've already got dings 
So guys who were just little things happening here and there. I mentioned in the text that I sent out that Jansen Dunn was like running laps on Wednesday and then was uh, getting stretched out while the rest of the guys were doing some other stuff before he went and joined them today or on Friday at camp. So that that stuff is happening out there. That there, So injury might still be a thing because Master Teague didn't do much of anything all spring. He did dress for the spring game but wasn't a participant. So I think that could be in play a little bit that Mayan Williams, it's a reward for what he did at the end of last season when Master Teague was also hurt. It's not really punishing Master Teague, but you, I think you also reward a guy who steps up and comes through in that scenario, which, which Mayan Williams did. But it was also just such a limited shot. I know people, because it came against Clemson and because it came at an important time, and he also had a nice run in the Big Ten Championship game, but it's like, it was like the one run that he made in that game. And then he mm-hmm. carried like three times against Clemson uh, later in the game when Clemson was already getting its its brains beat in a little bit. Like, I respect Mayan Williams. I just didn't like take that much away from that to think, well, he's going to come in and be the starting running back this year. So my, I don't, it's, it's a tough thing to peg because I still think Master Teague is as good or better than Mayan Williams. We have mythologized Mayan Williams' 2020. He had he played yeah. he played 14 offensive snaps last year. He played three snaps against Clemson. He didn't play against Alabama. So all credit for doing your job, but like the idea of like here comes Mayan Williams is like, well, what's that really based on? It's made so, bigger because of what happened right after the runs. The 56-yard the pass yeah. is literally right after that. So if they, if Mayan comes off the field and they just hand the ball off to Trey Sermon for another seven-yard gain, it's just like, oh, Mayan Williams got a chance to play. So it's, it's hard to figure out. And this is like a three-way conversation, right? That theoretically, right? That, I mean, is it? Are they going yes. with the five-star freshman? Are they going with the veteran who started last year? As Nathan, you've said many times, they never shared the job last year. Was it Master Teague started the first half of the year, then he got hurt, and then Trey Sermon's Sermon started in the postseason? Master Teague was their starting running back last year. Yeah. Like, when he was healthy, he was their starting running back. And so the idea of, like, him losing that job to a five-star freshman is like, okay, well, stuff happens. The idea of, like, Master Teague, like, losing that job to a three-star sophomore is like, what? What happened? And, again, at some point, Mine Williams stands on his own. He does his job. The coaches seem to like him. All credit to him. But he was a late addition to the class. So I, I am – we're marking it down because we have to mark it down. I have no confidence in any answer. But I, at the moment, will guess that they are not going to go to the five-star freshman right away even though I would, I'd start him. J.K. started in game one because Mike Webber was hurt. I'd start Trayvon Henderson. I'm going to guess they won't. I'm going to guess that some portion of what we're seeing is the easing and the pitch count of a veteran who's been around. And again, Mayan Williams played 14 offensive snaps last year. So everybody needs reps, but Henderson and Mayan need them a lot more than Master Teague does. And I will bet that when they line up against Minnesota, it's Master Teague in the backfield. And how long that is the case, I don't know. I would not bet that Master Teague will be the guy who lines up as a starting running back in the playoff, in the Big Ten championship game against Michigan. I'm not sure against Indiana. I don't think against Penn State. But week one, I'll take Master Teague. Someone is already, like, getting their nasty text ready to fire it at us for how much we don't believe in Mayan Williams. But I am also going to mark down 
Master Teague as the opening day first snap starter. I, Brian Day was asked about the running backs at Big Ten Media Day and said, well, I think you can play three. And I think that is almost foreshadowing to how this is going to start the year. Because I think that one, that's almost the excuse for why Williams and Teague and Henderson for opening night are still kind of all in this mix as it then begins to separate over the course of the year. I'm skeptical, again, like you, that Henderson gets that first snap. I think he might be the guy who ends up doing what he's supposed to do or could do over the course of this year. And I just have this – Master Teague has done a lot for this program in the last two years. People want to dis, be dismissive of Master Teague. I understand why. I understand compared to – for instance, the podcast we just did on Friday and the names you can rattle off in Ohio State history, why Master Teague doesn't stack up to that in people's minds. But he was there when they needed him in important ways the last two years. So I think that's worth something. I think the coaching staff will recognize that that's worth something, and I think he gets the first snap on opening night. Do I think he stays the first string running back all season? No, I don't. This pick is annoying because if – Master Teague was just going first right now, and Travion Henderson was still going fourth. I would just pick Travion Henderson's going to start, and it's because he's just a true freshman right now, so of course he's starting fourth, and he's got to build up to it. Throwing Mayan Williams in there first throws this unnecessary wrinkle in here that doesn't need to exist, so now I feel like I have to pick Master Teague as the incumbent. Wow, so three for Teague. I'm not happy about it, but it is what it is. It's hard. It's hard. It's like, and again, like, what does it mean, right? We're marking it down. I wouldn't take much away from this particular markdown. Point of reference, again, it's hard to compare anything to Trey Sermon because he karate kicks people in the head and rushed for more yards in a game than any buck I ever had. Trey Sermon averaged 7.5 yards per carry last year. Master Teague averaged 4.9. So 4.9 yards per carry isn't great for an Ohio State offense. No, so. but they they were also fairly close before – Sermon blew up. I think Teague might have even been ahead of him before all that. Because, was awful because, before he blew up. Because the, the, the Big Ten Championship game and the Clemson game are where Sermon Yeah, no, difference. right, now, obviously. But it's like, again, like, would, Master, would yeah. Master Teague have done that if he had gotten right. all those carries? I would probably guess no. As much as I didn't believe in Trey Sermon until he started to flying karate kicks, I just thought he couldn't hit a hole. I thought he has more burst. and That's the whole thing with Master Teague, right? It's like Master Teague puts his head down and gets you five yards, but is he going to break a, break a huge run mm-hmm. the same way the other, other guys might? So um, I don't know. It is interesting. I think the, the offensive line had a great game against Northwestern, and that played into why Trey Sermon was able to do what he did. But I think it's – so I think Trey, Master Teague would have had a productive game had he not gotten a concussion and stayed in that game, but I don't think he would have done what Trey Sermon did in that game. So then the question becomes – what would have happened against Clemson. I, we don't, I don't know if we need to break this, you know, interrupt this with that kind of what if, but I think it, it's, it's, a, it's one of those fun questions to ask because it, it, things unfold very differently. Do they beat Clemson the way they did without Trey Sermon? If they're just having like a normally productive master T game and not a Trey Sermon turning the world on its ear kind of game. No, I think it's a good point. All right. That's it. Right. No other, no other positions. We covered them all. Right. Uh, I think there might be I one mean, left. There's kicker, one left. It's not that kicker. important. Yeah, kicker. That's kicker, probably well, that's, the most important one of the day. I'm definitely not marking down kicker. That's that's definitely up in the air right now. Um, 
I mean, for real, actually, we're not marking down kicker because we don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> so, that, that, that was a joke. And I have it's too many other things to watch during the few periods that we've had that I just sort of forgot to look over and see what was going on between I saw uh, Jake Snyder and Noah Ruggles. Yeah, they had a field goal. They did punt Wednesday and they did field goal today. Um, I mean, they both just alternated. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's going to be a battle that, that uh, hangs around for a while. Um, I guess we could talk about quarterback. Sure. C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, Kyle McCord, and soon to be added to the mix, Quinn Ewers. He's not here yet. He's not in the quarterback competition yet, but I believe he's here in spirit at least. Doug, you texted earlier this week. You've texted about this since we had our discussion about it earlier this week and the one we had last week. So any new perspective that you want to share on what you think is the dynamics of this once Quinn Ewers gets involved? So I feel like I may have shaken nine and three, Doug. Or Quinn Ewers is going to be the starting quarterback, Doug. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gro- Listen, no, it's a growing tradition. You got to make something – crazy that might happen because there's a logical reason for it every year now. I I would just again like to make clear that I do not say these things for attention. No. I just say them because I'm wrong. (laughs) It's completely heartfelt. But listen, we also we, we, we watch what we watch. We try to have conversations and then as you sometimes have more conversations and as you see new things and as the people you have conversations with see new things your opinion changes so let me i'm going to read this one this is a review uh that just came in the other day three stars still three stars the the review is laughable all caps ryan day does not want quinn ewers to reclassify now he takes the all caps off you guys are the only beat to think ryan day wanted this they just took four guaranteed years of solid quarterback play to three, not to mention that two of, four, two of the four will leave after or maybe before the 21 season starts. It could have been McCord, Stroud, and Ewers in 2022. Now it'll just be Stroud and Ewers. Nathan is the only sensible one here I feel for him sometimes. So, Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk. <laughs> That's the one you're ordering? Nathan is the only sensible one? Uh, yes. Could I get a four of those? Could I get one in gray, one in black? Uh, actually, I'm going to give it to my family for Christmas. What else? Nathan's like, uh, oh, it's, um, yeah, belated uh, uh, bachelor party souvenirs for your guys from your wedding. It's like Nathan is the sensible one. Haven't had the bachelor party yet. That's still TBD. Oh, so there's still time. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. Okay, so, uh, again, we, just so you guys know, 614-350-3315 for the texts. Uh, anyone who signs up for the texts – in the next before the season starts in the next month we'll enter a raffle for an invite to nathan's bachelor party so contact nathan for details so uh talk to uh people a little more uh about what's going on and my general view on the quinn ewers thing is now is that i was a little hot i was a little hot on this i am leaving room for special but the thing that i think ohio state is aware of now that he's coming and I don't know that it would be fair to say – I don't think it's fair to say that they engineered this. It's also not fair to say they were blindsided by it, right? Like, but I don't know – the idea didn't start with Ohio State for Quinn Ewers to come. Um, 
But the general idea is that they know it's possible that whether Quinn Ewers is here or not, like once they name a starter, guys might, the other guys might go like really fast. That's possible. They hope it doesn't happen. They don't think it will happen, but they know it could happen. So I think the thing that is definitely true about Quinn Ewers is there's a possibility that he might have to be their backup quarterback this year, right? That like, it's like, oh, well, we named guy A, B and C transferred, and now Quinn Ewers, fresh out of high school, is one snap away from going into the game, whether that's a plan or not. So that they're aware of. He can throw it, but he's young. So they are not really – it is not an expectation of he's going to play this year. That is, that is not really on their minds. But they are open-minded, and just in general, when you talk to, you know, the people who do it more and more, you know, they've got to get them here. <laughs> like, they haven't seen him practice yet. You know, it's like, well, he went to a little – it's like, well, that's great. We've seen – they've seen the same film. We went, But, like, they, they don't have him here, so they – they aren't going to commit really a lot one way or the other. Um, so I came out hot on that. And I don't know. I mean, I, what do I apologize for? Do I apologize for being Doug Buckeye talk? I mean, yes, no, maybe. I was a little hot. I was probably on my island. But I, di- I still leave room for special. Even after talking to people, I'll leave room for special. And I wouldn't say nobody slammed the door and said 100%, no way it can happen. Because, like, he's not here, and who knows, right? So that's why I think Quinn Ewers is going to start against Minnesota. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I was going to follow up and ask. Like, do Because you, you were leaving open – you're leaving open special, as I think we all are, for him to quarterback potentially by the end of the season. Are you still right. leaving open special as him being in the mix to start on opening No, game? definitely not. Definitely okay. not. But definitely to, not. The, to be fair, was anybody ever there? I think that's part no. of the problem. Thank you. It's, there seemed to be this backlash that people thought that anybody of the three of us ever thought, he's going to come in here and in two weeks be the starter. Right. Nobody ever said that, ever. I don't think anybody on any beat, on, on well, any, of any coverage was saying that was the case. I was just giving Doug a chance to clarify that because I think he was oh. the one of us who was, who was saying, who was more open to that being possible. Uh, it would not have been what I would have marked down, but right, like right. in my, my door for special was wider open okay. than probably anybody's door. And I, know. whereas I was like shutting it down, like he's not starting on opening night. Like right. I, I dismissed that. Yeah, right. no, I was, I'm more, let's see what happens in eight weeks. So um, I think that's where they are. They got the hand to ha- have a handle on it, but I do think there is also, you know, it's one of these things. From my interpretation of it is is it that it's not like Quinn Ewers and his family are sending him here with like the demand of like, well, I better play right away. It's it's more like he's coming and that Ohio State is like, okay, cool. If you're gonna come, like we're not gonna put you in a bad spot. You know, that it's like we're like gonna have your back on this stuff. You know what I mean? And like we're not gonna throw you out there. You know, unless you really, 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 really show that you're ready, which again is you can leave that door. I'm, I, I wouldn't ever want to slam that door on that because there is both talent and circumstance. But that I think at the moment, it's more the thought process of a, like, let's make sure we don't do anything to like put too much on this kid's plate as opposed to like, holy moly, 
he's a lightning bolt. Get ready. Here comes Quinn. Right. So, um, so I'll say CJ Stroud, you know, I missed the first day of practice. I was there for this one. It just comes out of his hand. Nice. It just comes out of his hand. Nice. Just, it just looks good when he throws it. And again, talking to people, you can really, it's like, just sort of like all the intangible stuff does matter, right? All the intangible stuff does matter. So like it just, but it comes out of CJ's hand. Nice. Kyle, I just think is a little more of a slinger. He just is a little more of a, it's one of these guys, like if they were baseball pitchers, it would be like CJ throws 98 and it doesn't even look like he's throwing hard. Whereas Kyle throws 98 and he's like falling off the mound when he does it. Right. But like, they both throw 98 and they both could strike out 15 and they both could win the Cy Young award. But I just feel like Kyle McCord is slingier and it just makes me want to have Quinn here to watch them together because that's the thing that I'm, that I am open for of like, boy, do Kyle and CJ look good when they throw it in practice. And then Quinn comes up and it's a different animal. It's like, oh my God, right? Or, oh, or no, it looks all the same. Or no, Quinn looks like a high school guy. Like whatever it would be, I, I just want the context. I would love to eyeball the context. And then Jack Miller just has a little bit longer motion. And when we talked the other day on Tuesday, it's like he said that that's one of the things that the only thing they really worked with him is shorten that motion up a little bit. He's still a little longer than Kyle and CJ. CJ gets that thing up and it's out. It's like up, it's at its ear, and it's gone, and it's right where it needs to be. So I just when you watch him throw, I think you can maybe understand why it feels like Jack is third. I still think Jack can be a good quarterback for like a power five team. But um, I'll mark down CJ. Watching them throw, I wish Kyle was the same age as CJ and Jack. Because, uh, yeah, he is a slinger. Part of that is because he hasn't had a year of working with Ryan Day on getting that slinger out of him. I think he's the best thrower of the group. This natural base-level throwing ability, he's the best quarterback. Without question, he's the most talented one. But him being a year behind, man, that's a – like, T- CJ's got a year of teaching. He didn't come in with that motion of throwing that you're talking about, Doug. That's working with the coaching staff, which is why it's it's an uphill climb for Kyle to get there, man, which is why you gotta ma- you got to mark down CJ Stroud because that first year of teaching with coaches, especially at quarterbacks, is – so important because that's where you start your baseline at. And right now, if Kyle McCord goes in there, he, if he was their starter this year, he'd throw for 3,500 yards and 35 touchdowns and all that. It just wouldn't look as clean because he hasn't had a year in the program of developing it, even though it's naturally better than what the other two bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say that I'm at a one, 100% on this. And it, so it's probably like 60, 40, or even, maybe 65-35 just because of the way that we're seeing things lined up and in and, and the repetition of it. But I'm, I'm also going to mark down C.J. Stroud. I, I, I think it's possible that, that Kyle McCord surges here in camp and, and, and presses the issue. But I agree with everything you said. Like we, we've, and, and it's one of the unfortunate things about this. If, I don't know if you call it unfortunate. Like, there's just a, it's a lot of good quarterbacks, man. And somebody really good is going to feel like they're on the outside looking in at the end of this and maybe have to reevaluate their options at that point. Yeah, but they, Ohio State's known that from the beginning. Um, and uh, they're like, I think you bring up a good point, Doug, that like, um, as far as like needing Quinn Ewers to be here because of the repercussions of it, 
Um, I don't know if, if it's like a chicken before the egg thing with that a little bit. It's like, well, somebody has to be the backup and you're only one, you know, turned ankle away from now you're the starter if it's a close battle for first. But um, I, I just, it, it, everything we've seen leads us to believe that CJ Stroud still has the lead in this. And I, I think it's still reasonably close, but we also haven't really seen him relinquish control on that lead. And, and I want to, this is not very marky down it, but um, definitely had a conversation with somebody about the idea that like, there's not one right answer. There's more than one right answer, right. Mm-hmm. you know? And that, I mean, you know, just like, as I think about it, it's like in the end was Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow, the right answer. And CJ is Dwayne. In and situation. so I don't know that you would say it was the right answer. Was it the wrong answer? I don't think you'd say it was the wrong answer. Now, Joe Burrow, I mean, went on to be Joe Burrow. So I guess you could say it was wrong. I don't know that Ohio State would say it was wrong. It was like, well, there were, as it turned out, there were multiple right answers, right? Because, heck, I mean, Dwayne tore it up. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? And it turns out that Joe probably, I mean, Joe would have torn it up too. So I, I do think they kind of feel like that. Now, none of the guys have as much experience as Dwayne or Joe had when they had their battle, but I do think they feel like that. And that, you know, there will always be the idea. I mean, again, like, how could you let that guy go? And it was like, well, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, look what Joe Burrow has become, but also Joe took a leap after he left. and. Dwayne was really good. So what are you going to do? So I, I don't think there's like, um, like I don't like, I think they like the options and I think they like the idea that they can be right multiple ways. Right. And so I think, I think that's where we are and that, and that we've said that before, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but we probably think that whoever the quarterback is, will be pretty good for a young quarterback. Yeah, and it, I think it is worth mentioning that, like, you can't only hold up that one example and say, hey, it's turned out it turned out great for everybody in this way, so maybe it'll happen that way this next time. Like, you always have, you do have to sometimes mention the Georgia situations where you have two great quarterbacks or a guy who just almost won your national championship and then a five-star coming in behind him, and you have to pick between the two, and it seems like, well, we only have – we can't make a wrong decision, but then you kind of do. Right. I think but that's the difference, though, right there, is it seemed like Jake Fromm always had a ceiling that wasn't going to be first round. It was going to be what he is, what he is. And what we saw his first year was just going to be what he was, while Justin's ceiling was always first round. See, Two of these guys are going to be first rounders somewhere. Well, we well, we don't need to re, uh, relitigate that whole situation just because it is a, it was a different scenario. I was just pointing out that, like, sometimes you feel like, well, there's only two good choices to make in the moment. And it, in ret- retrospect, it tells you that there weren't two. And that's why the Ewers' presence kind of changes the equation here a little bit for Ohio State because it gives them that, that, that insurance policy. I don't know that people didn't think that Jake Fromm had first-round talent because I do think in the end it's like I think Fromm and Fields, who has more natural talent as a quarterback, I think it's Fields, right? But I think you maybe thought Fromm, because he did it in his first year, was going to be a guy who was just going to, like, run an offense, man, mm-hmm. like, just run an offense. And then it's like, okay, well, Haskins and Burrow. It's like, well, which guy probably had, maybe has more quarterback talent? And it's probably Dwayne, like, the way Dwayne can really throw it sometimes. And then Joe turned out, well, Joe had a ton of talent, too, and really ran an offense. And it's like, like think, I think Georgia probably went with the more, like, 
kind of sure thing, less talented yeah. guy. And Ohio State kind of went with the maybe less of a sure thing, more talented guy. But then the guy who maybe was less talented went bazonkers. And so it's like right now it's like maybe CJ's more of the sure thing, but like McCord and Ewers might be more talented. But if CJ is just going to get out there and run it, right? And CJ mm. obviously is talented himself, but he's going to run things. But Kyle and Quinn are different. Like I don't, I don't know that you know. Like I don't know that there's a lesson of like always lean towards the talent, right. always lean well, yeah. towards the sure thing. It's just like decisions are hard. And well, sometimes you're wrong and just hope that if you're wrong, it doesn't kill you. Because it certainly – Ohio State missed out on something with Joe Burrow. It didn't kill him. I mean, it, mostly because Justin Fields came. But even like that year in 2018, they weren't horrible. It wasn't like Dwayne led them to like a 7-5 and five record. Like they were still really good. They almost made the playoff. So, like, you know, it's not devastating. And I think, I think they think – like it's impossible for them to have a devastating situation come out of this. Cause how could we have a devastating situation when we feel so good about all the guys? Right. And that's mm-hmm. what they like that they're going to get it right. And frankly, you know, the idea of like, what if Bryce young gets hurt? What if DJ Uyunglele gets hurt? Not that they don't have other good players there, but like it's not a quite a competition like it is at Ohio state right now. Yeah. I think Ohio state likes as much as we can make it seem like, oh, man, they have so many choices. What are they going to do? I really think Ohio State likes it. Like, fine, we'll make the tough decision because we believe there's no bad decision and we like having multiple options. So if something goes wrong with somebody, injury just isn't as good as you think or whatever, we have other guys lined up right away where I'm not so sure every other school has those many other options lined up. Yeah, in some ways it's like, Ohio State believes it's going to have really good quarterback play in 2021, regardless of who it picks. Like, it's just a matter of, like, that that baseline has already been set. Now it's just a matter of who you give the job to to do that, to get that baseline. I think the only thing that lingers back there is down the line, if because of attrition you put yourself in a position where you don't have that insurance policy, where you don't have that that second guy who would go in and, and, and play with that same level and if, the, if an injury arises or whatever, kind of the thing that didn't happen in 2019 with behind Justin Fields, or even you could argue didn't happen last year, although you think that Stroud or whoever would have come in and, and played effectively. But, you know, down the line, like, are they going to keep getting really lucky the next time that scenario comes up? Ohio State won a national championship having to play three go to the third string quarterback and now it throws a wrench into everything because they can use that. What if somebody gets hurt excuse whenever they feel like it? And then, but meanwhile, yeah, they got through 2019 with basically having no backup quarterback. Yeah. And when Justin got hurt, he went in the tent at Michigan and they gave him a bionic knee and he came out and threw a touchdown pass and they were fine. Yeah. So it's like, it is, it's like they haven't, they weren't burned by it. Like it's not, wasn't ideal in 19 and 20, but it didn't affect them. They were fine. They yeah, had yeah. one of the best quarterbacks yeah. in the country and they, they made the playoff both years and they were fine. And the That's other schools point, haven't though, really like been burned that. by it either, though. Like Clemson's – I mean, when the year before DJ got there when Trevor Lawrence was a sophomore and they didn't really have much behind him, they weren't burned by not having a second option. Trevor just played. Yeah, but they were almost saved by having that second option last year. I mean, the only loss they suffered was double overtime at a playoff opponent. I mean, and, and they might not have had it. You know, who because knows what of happens a global if- pandemic once-in-a-lifetime thing that you can't even bank on. It's not, he didn't suffer a football injury. Still, no, no. 
But I, but I do, I mean, in the end, the thing that I, I, I think is that generally Ohio State, it's like, I think there is a point of diminishing returns on how many quarterbacks you have. I think there's a point where you can have so many, you're going to wind up with too few, which is the point you're making, Nathan. Right. You get so many that they all leave, and now you have too few. Where maybe if you didn't get so many, they all would have stayed, and you would never have too few. And now it's like, Buck, I talk fable time. Like the team with too many quarterbacks. I want it like there were four quarterbacks in the bed and the little one said, like, I mean, it's right. It's all the stuff. You have too much of a good thing and then you get a tummy ache. So I just don't know that Ohio State thinks you can have too much of a good thing at quarterback. And until it is – because, like, that's not why – now, Justin scared people off to some degree, right? I mean, that was – but they, he also was scaring off Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin and, like, what are you going to do? But I think they're like they're going to keep bringing in big numbers, believing that they're going to end up with multiple good choices, make the choice, believe in their ability to make the choice, and then believe that enough guys will stick around that it doesn't really pinch them on the back end. And until that's proven wrong, that's what they're going to keep doing, I think. And I think even after it's proven wrong, if it's proven wrong, they might keep doing it. I just don't know that as much as like I want them to recruit backup quarterbacks, I don't know if they ever will. They're just going to get a five-star in every class and roll the dice and tell them to fight it out. And I'm going to be like, but what about the guy from Ohio who's ranked 411 and wants to be a Buckeye? And they're like, whatever, dude. All right, well, then, best-case scenario, they keep the starter, and then one of the three who doesn't win it, that they that needs to be the best case scenario and the thing they hope happens every single time they do this because that's where we're going to be at at this point where you're going to have three or four really good ones in the room and there's a chance that in a year you'll have one really good one and chaos behind it. Yeah, but I think they're very comfortable. I think okay. they're I think they're very comfortable. Yeah, I, I, and it, that makes sense to me. Like why you're comfortable for 2021? I know people are worried about how sudden the attrition would be. Um, uh, I don't know that I think they should be that worried about it, although there will eventually happen. be, there will be attrition eventually. Again, I, I, I don't know how immediate that'll be. That's the thing that remains to be seen just because the season's starting. I mean, we're, we're in camp. We'll see. But I, I, that, that I think is not the fear factor. The only fear factor that should be down the line, if the whole room empties out except for one guy, why does that leave? But we're straying from the point here, which is that we think C.J. Stroud is the this starter on opening night. I, I don't, and I also think though, like I don't look at Ohio State's fortunes this year are tied between, and I really I think of it right now as sort of a two man race between Stroud or McCord starting. I think. Do you guys think? I mean, I, I envision the season playing out pretty similarly, regardless of which of those two guys they pick. Well, I think that's because we don't know enough. Like, we don't know who's more likely to make the throw on third and 18 in the fourth quarter of a semifinal. I don't know. So I would bet that in the end, there's going to be somebody who's at least slightly more likely than the other one to do it or make the play however you need to make it, escape the sack, roll out, make the ball, make the throw down the field to Chris Olave or squeeze it in a tight window or do whatever. But we don't have any proof, Nathan. Like we don't, I just like, right. it would be, we'd be literally rock, paper, scissors for who you think's better at that. So, and I don't know that they have much more of an understanding than we do. I mean, they have more of an understanding, but I don't know that they have a decisive. You can't right. find that out to your plan. Yeah. So that's, it's, you know, 
I think at this point, everybody can be in agreement. And with those two, you can go 12 and 0 through the regular season with either their talented enough to get you to 12 and 0. Anything other than that, you're not going to know that. So you see them actually do it on the field. You can go, okay, this will translate to a playoff game. Yep. So that's how we're picking it. The, the offensive position battles, we had two votes for Matthew Jones and one for Josh Fryer at left guard. We had three votes for Master T taking the first snap at running back, and we have three votes for C.J. Stroud to be the opening night starting quarterback for Ohio State. Anything else before we sign off today? No, I think that's good. Just a reminder for everybody, get in on the text at 614-350-3315 and another little plea to try the college football playoff show. Um, we do it usually Tuesday and Wednesday when the episodes drop. We have a Q&A episode, and then we have the main episode. And I think this week we are deciding whether Notre Dame should enter the college football playoff discussion that we're doing. And we're ranking all the playoff contenders on who has the best coach. So we get to talk about how Ryan Day stacks up against Dabo and Nick and Lincoln Riley and everybody else. Interesting. Definitely check that out. We are going to have podcasts all this week. We're still going to be out at Ohio State in the mornings a couple times this week, getting some intel from the coaches, hopefully getting to see some football or stuff. I actually can't remember on the schedule whether we have uh, any viewing periods this week. but uh, I think we have one. This is a Monday, so tomorrow, Tuesday, we have okay. another one. Gotcha. We are supposed to talk to Ryan Day again on Monday to try to, again, get get a, get some shape on how things are going these first few days. So follow us at the text. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us at cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. For Doug Lamerese, for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.